It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 year is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The shoot around. Well, remind me never to say never again. The Cavs have managed to do it. They've missed the playoffs. Lots of emotions on this one. How are you feeling, Colin? There's a lot of stuff going through my head. I'm excited for what the team is as a young core, and I wish it would have ended differently. I guess it's kind of cool that they have a first-round pick still. The season is officially over, with the Cavs losing two games in the play-in tournament. What differed in their losses to Brooklyn and Atlanta? Well, I'll start with one thing that was similar is that they were both really frustrating. They're both really frustrating games. The big thing for me that did kind of differ as a whole was they had a lot more energy against Atlanta. Obviously, they came out and actually performed well in the first quarter versus in Brooklyn. They just looked utterly lost. And it helped to have Jared Allen, I think, emotionally, psychologically, for the Atlanta game, they clearly missed his size and presence against Brooklyn. He did look hampered in Atlanta, obviously really only having one working hand. The team, they looked like they were more competent in Atlanta in the sense that they knew what they wanted to do at the start of the game, at least for the first half. They knew what they wanted to do offensively. They knew how to take advantage of their size and length uh, de- defensively against Atlanta, where they weren't able to contain Kyrie at all in the Brooklyn game. Okoro got cooked multiple times, which, you know, as Cavs fans, we've seen Kyrie a lot. We know when he's hot, he's hot. But Okoro couldn't do anything but just watch and stare in, in a lot of ways just because some of the shots that Kyrie were, you know, what he was doing was just phenomenal. And... Brooklyn was able to do what they wanted to do offensively a lot of times where they essentially just used Durant and Kyrie as their offensive hubs, and the rest of their players moved around a little bit, and they would get a bucket. So that was really frustrating because, as we've always, as we've highlighted, this the, the tail end of the season here, the Cavs just have dropped off a cliff when it comes to their defense. You know, Lowry was marked on Durant a lot of times. He had some solid steals, but he wasn't really able to affect how Durant was dictating, you know, on that side of the ball. And and to kind of contrast that with Atlanta, we were able to contain Trey Young in the first half, obviously not in the second second half. Again, we allowed Trey Young to dictate how Atlanta was going to get baskets. They kept doing pick and rolls where they would switch instead of try to trap, 
or just have, you know, Lavert or Okoro just stay on Young and get his bucket and, you know, staying home as opposed to having a big switch on him. Opposite that, Garland kind of didn't do well in the second half at all in Atlanta. So that kind of coincided with or coalesced with their defense not doing well against Atlanta in the second half. There were differences in how the, the, the game flowed in both games, but unfortunately the, the major similarity is the season's done. They lost both games, and it, one of them they should have obviously won. Like, they were close in both, and they, were, they weren't leading in Brooklyn, but they got it within six, and Atlanta, they were up by as much as 14. So clearly... My overall takeaway is they should have won the Atlanta game, but I honestly thought that another similarity was that JB kind of got outcoached in both games. Obviously, both games were extremely disappointing. Let's just start there uh, for different reasons. They really are a mirror of each other um, or an inverse of each other, I should say. Uh, the fact that we came out with the Brooklyn game, you know, I had a real bad taste in my mouth the way that we played against the Bucks to end the season. We came out and we smacked their third string and we even kind of gave up enough points to have it be close at the end and that didn't make me feel good. And anytime Kevin Love goes off for 10 threes in a quarter to start a game that doesn't matter, it just makes me roll my eyes. I don't want that now. I want it when it matters. And we didn't get it. For these two games, we didn't get it at all. And we'll talk about rotations. I mean, it's not his fault for the second game. When you're not out there playing, you can't give your team much. The game against Brooklyn, we came out, and in the first quarter, we were down 40-20. to 20. So that, right away, I knew there was a better chance we were going to lose that game after the first 12 minutes of watching the game. That's extremely sad. That you're, you're digging a giant hole that you cannot get out of against a team that was supposed to be a contender to start the season and is starting to get its legs under itself. So you go out there, you let them feel like superheroes, and then you have to play from behind the rest of the game, and you only lose by seven. You look at the stats, what have we said for the last two weeks? We need one guy besides Darius Garland to step up and average more than 20 a game. Did we get it? No. Mobley had 19. Good for you, Mobley. You got close, right? Markinen, 13. Levert, 12. Love, 14. These are not good enough. Especially if you're going to play eight guys. You're not going to use your whole roster. Then you really need people to step up. Akuro had zero points in that game. Granted, he played 13 minutes, but I don't want to see a guy that's an up-and-comer on our team get zero points. I don't want to see Jetty Osmond have 21 minutes out on the court, and get two points. Lamar Stevens had seven points in seven minutes. What does that tell you? Second game against Atlanta. Where was Lamar Stevens? Was he in street clothes? I'm not sure. I didn't notice him. He certainly never touched the court. When you look at the roster that we played, eight guys again. Actually, I'm sorry, I was wrong before. We played nine guys against Brooklyn. We played eight guys against Atlanta. Were we injured even further that I don't know about? Where was Brown? Where was Jetty? Where was Stevens? Our rotations were abysmal. We went from the previous game 
not showing up in the first quarter and then fighting back the rest of the way, going 20, 23, 30, and 35 the whole game. And then in the second game against Atlanta, we went 36, 25, 23, and 17. We back-ended it, and we looked exhausted out there. After the first quarter of going out there and blowing the roof off, we looked like we had nothing left in the tank, and we had no offensive game plan. We'd run up the court and dribble, 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 dribble. Four guys would stand there and watch the guy dribble, and then maybe someone would come up and take, you know, do a screen, and then you know Garland or whoever would come around the screen and kick it out for a three, and we'd miss it. And you have the announcer go, oh, that's the crowd's stunned. They've given up a 14-point lead. They're stunned. I'd been watching for two and a half quarters of them slowly give it away. I wasn't stunned. I was disgusted. Because <laughs> I knew they wouldn't play defense. I expected that. They haven't done it for a month. I didn't think they'd forget how to play offense together. The stats don't even matter. It doesn't, like, I don't even care to look at how we played as a team. Did we, how did we do rebounds, blocks, and assists? What does it matter? We played like we just got together the week before. And that's not exciting to end a season. What is the promise of next season? Garland shot horribly. Horribly. I'm sorry, for all the praise that people want to give him, you should also give him some criticism too when he deserves it. And we needed him to step up big in that game. And what would he shoot? He was uh, 9 of 27. I guess we need Sexton, huh? I guess we need everybody. We need this team to be whole. And the fact that, you know, and I, I said it in the intro, this is the last statement I'll make. Of course I'd call it, oh, no, there's no way we're missing the playoffs. We're not going to miss the playoffs. Well, yeah, anything's possible in Cleveland. And it was the perfect situation for a Cleveland sports tragedy. And we had it. People don't think it's a tragedy because they've not been paying attention. Every person I talk to around here is patting themselves on the back and patting the team on the back for having a great season because they think last season was awful. No, last season was also riddled with injury. And so if next season is also riddled with injury, it's like watching a football team that you can't, you can't guarantee that they're going to be healthy every year. Then what hope do we have? It doesn't matter how good we are. So we better figure that out. Because limping to the finish line and, and seeing a team go from the promise of what they were a month and a half ago to what they are now is just devastating from a sports perspective. If you could grade the Cavs this year, what would you give them? Off the top of my head, you know, just from what I believed the promise of this season should be, the fact that even the organization came in with their slogan, let them know. I think you got to give it a C, C plus, C plus. Let's say a C plus. The reason being is that there's a couple of things that happened throughout the year that, number one, we know that the injuries are just, that has to be figured out. I, I don't have an answer here. I can speculate. But what's the point of that? I would only say that if the organization hasn't taken a long and hard look at their strength and conditioning and what they can do from the standpoint of how they train these guys and how they're treating their injuries. Now, I know fluke things happen, and I think many things this year were fluke, but they've got to find a way to be more consistent about getting their guys out on the court. Especially when we've, we've had the luxury of seeing a guy like LeBron James basically miss no time 
when he mm-hmm. wore a Cavaliers jersey. And I had the luxury of watching Michael Jordan play, which when he was when he was in the league, he was playing. And he rarely missed a game as well. So you expect that from greatness. And frankly, I expect that from this team in its entirety. Greatness from this entire team. This roster is not going to come back as is, but for the most part, it will. So number one is it has to be injuries that we focus on. That knocks you down just in the sense of of what you knew the promise was supposed to be, the expectation of what the season should have been. I can't give you a high grade when that grade is attached to that expectation. So that automatically knocks you down. At the end of the day, we saw maturation from Garland that we really needed to see. His, His process this season was exciting and maybe out of left field for some, but really what we had been advertised and we're waiting for that. And by the third year, that's usually when a guy shows you what he's going to be, if there's going to be any promise there in the future or not. And we still don't know what we have with Sexland. I think there's, there could be something really amazing there. It just depends on how they bring him back and use, utilize him. Mobley was an amazing pickup. What a find in the draft. What an amazing basketball player and a future piece that we're going to hold on to for most likely his entire career. But beyond that, there's a few other things that just kind of don't seem to fit. Like, Markinen, where do you really want him to play? What do you really want him to do? Is he just a taller Kevin Love that goes out there and shoots some big threes for you when you need it? And that's about all you can expect from him. Akuro, what are you doing with him? You promised that you were going to be bringing him along more this season. You didn't really do that. In the last two games, kind of non-existent. Yes, he had great defensive stops and he was, he was out there. But what are your plans for him? moving forward. How are they going to build out the roster? How are they going to, you know, d- determine what certain guys are going to play certain roles? Do they keep Levert? Do they bring Sexton back as a sixth man? Do they bring him into the roster as a starter again? These things are all so wide open that the grade just has to be middle of the road. With just a few more improvements, they're a solid B plus A minus. They were right there this year. They just couldn't keep they just couldn't keep it together. I would probably lean more toward B just right now in the sense of I look at how the fact that Garland did come along and that Allen also improved his game. And I think that Allen, we were we were excited about Allen. A lot of Cavs folks were, but you always do kind of wonder is this somebody who's going to add more to their game? And the reason why I give them a B is you can tell that all of these players are going to work during the offseason. Now, I agree with you. With that work during the offseason, the Cavs organization, they definitely need to figure something out with their strength and conditioning. I don't know. Again, we're not medical professionals, but something has to change there. I know in other sports... There's a lot of onus on making sure the training staff is doing everything that they can to make sure that diet and, you know, certain stretches and certain lifting exercises and stuff like that are done at certain times during the year because we we can't have another season like that again with that many injuries and the training staff still be around because I think that something's up there. For me, this season is a B, but that makes even next season harder because for me, the scale 
the bell curve is even smaller for them. They they have to have a success, success next year. Otherwise, fans are going to think that if they stumble, where they're not vying for the the four or their five seed, to me that would be folks are going to think that they're the season is closer to a C minus or a D. And so there's a lot of onus on JB and Kobe to fill out the roster in certain ways and to push the players in certain ways so that I think they did that in a solid manner this year. So that's why I would give them a B. I might drop it to a B minus because I like JB a lot. I am frustrated with how he has allowed something that's been a major criticism of him, which is that he gets tunnel vision with his players. It's been a criticism with him and everywhere that he's gone. It's been the reason why he's had to move on is that he only plays certain guys at certain times and he rides players too much. And in all honesty, that Atlanta game was a little worrisome for me only because they, okay, yeah, they had eight players, but really they only had a rotation of seven. They barely played Kevin Love. And so you were relying on Okoro and uh, who was the other one coming off the bench? Um, and Rondo. Rondo. That's not, come on. Rondo has looking at the minutes they Okuro Rondo and Love uh that's 47 minutes between the three of them. So they they still like they really only played like five guys consistently that night. Levert, Garland, Allen, Mobley and Markkanen. And I know that that's the trend, but you're not in the playoffs yet. I looked at some other play-in games. Ty Lue was the only one that played in a similar mindset. The Clippers lost. You look at like uh, in New Orleans, they played 10 to 11 guys. Atlanta even played uh, close to 10. Part of that was because of injury. But they still had three dudes who were closer to 20 minutes or above play for them, where we only had Rondo and Okoro that we were relying on. That's not how we've won in this season at all. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's... Uh, we're our mo this year has been to go against the grain of what the nba is doing and here we are trying to model ourselves after what they do well that's not going to work for this team especially when we're down some of our key players and you've got allen out there you, you had allen play 35 minutes with one hand you and i wanted him out on the court mm-hmm. but i didn't want him out there like that i didn't want him out there basically being ineffectual and turning the ball over and not being able to get rebounds you needed to split his minutes up with the other guys so that they're, you know, it was more effective for the game rather than always just out there. Well, great, but that's not helping your team. I'm not a basketball savant. I didn't play basketball. I'm a fan. When I'm hearing what Mark Jackson is saying, and I know Mark Jackson has his own issues, but I also know that he was a professional basketball player and a point guard for almost 20 years and was really good for the Pacers and almost led them to a, a you know Eastern Conference championship he was dict he was letting the audience know that the Cavs were not doing the correct thing defensively and the thing that frustrated me was your second best defender you left on the bench Lamar Stevens is by far your second best defender Rondo is not I don't know why Rondo was playing even close to that much because he was he clearly wasn't spelling Garland enough 
because you had them playing together. So you took a guy in Lamar who is your second best defender and you told him that you're not, the buck stops here, you're not playing tonight. To me, that was short-sighted. And I think that your point is brilliant, which is the reason why this team has had success is because they have gone against the grain. Well, one way that they've gone against the grain, too, is they've embraced some of these undrafted guys like Lamar above guys like Rondo. Rondo is great. You know, he's going to go down as one of the best point guards of his era, but he's still a 35-year-old point guard who barely played for you this year. Where Lamar Stevens has been with you for the past two seasons, can guard three positions, and even... I wouldn't have wanted him up against Trey Young, but he could have at least, if you still wanted to switch occasionally, I'd much rather him switch than Laurie occasionally or, you know, a one-handed Allen. The overall thought process I have, and it's not a criticism of JB in the sense of, like, he hasn't done a good job at all this season. It was more, I remember, you know, the thing that I messaged to you is I felt like he just blinked in this situation he reverted back to an old habit that he's had and stuff like that needs to change. So I would give them a B, but it goes down to a B minus because the organization needs to do a better job at embracing this amazing talent that they have right now. The NBA knows that they have this amazing talent. Garland, Mobley, and Allen are a fearsome trio. You throw in Sexton as well and some other great spot play from these other guys. They are a very good team, but they're not going to reach that A- minus level or A level if the organization doesn't figure out some of these habits that they've had in the past and change them. You can't play Isaac Okoro 35 minutes in the final two games and make sure that he only has six points take him out of the rotation for the final game of the year so that he's not actually in the starting mm-hmm. lineup, which you've used him that way the entire season, and then uh, average 40 minutes for the final two games with Karis LeVert, a yeah. guy that you haven't figured out how to work into the offense yet and at best has come off the bench and given you the most that way. Mm-hmm. So you introduce him for the final game into the starting lineup and you give him 40 minutes against a guy that you know is defensively more solid and more capable of running the offense or being a part of the offense as as created. I don't I don't get it. I don't know why he leaned on some of the people that he did at the end. Mm-hmm. It's it's really at the end of the day, if they had come out and played a pretty decent game, ran some offensive sets that made sense, played decent defense, even if they'd lost by 20 points, I'd feel better. But instead, they came out and looked like they'd never played together before. And like, how do how can you say that they had any kind of progress for the season when you end a season that way? They look like they didn't know what their identity is. A thing that kind of terrified me was Jackson had said in like the press briefings or whatever it was that Garland had said that he wasn't nervous. And stuff like that terrifies me because that means that you're too young for the moment. Because a guy that I, I don't respect him per se but I respect his output. Marshawn Lynch, the guy that used to be the Seattle Seahawks running back, he said he used to get nervous for every game. That guy was an all-pro dude who his job was to get hit by other grown men as hard as they could. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to have nerves. 
that means that you're there in the moment. And Darius has done such a good job of not of of being in the moment, and clearly he wasn't. He was nine of twenty-seven. The final seconds. Levert and Sexton are both extension eligible. If they only extend one, who would you pick? I would pick Sexton. Mainly because Levert has had a tough time this season. Levert's numbers didn't really improve much with the Cavs for his career, like compared to his career numbers. He's older, and you drafted Sexton. And the fact of the matter is you owe Sexton some type of contract extension. I don't know if you necessarily owe that to Levert. Now that they have a first-round draft choice, they could get an actual wing who's maybe 6'6 to 6'9 who can play on the perimeter, where Levert, that was a big reason why you brought him in, was because of his size and his ball handling. But if you have Sexton, you have ball handling, and, and you know, it, that kind of cancels it out. So I would pick Sexton. I would also pick Sexton. I think you and I have talked a lot about what we believe is his future in the NBA, whether it's on this team or not. I think he's proven every season to be a player that pushes himself and only gains more in his stats. Levert is a very interesting player, very promising player. He's somebody that I would have wanted to pick up and have come off of our bench, certainly. Sexton is a guy that only because of the makeup of this team do I want him coming off the bench. He's a starter through and through, and it's going to be hard to get him to, to play in that six-man role. I think it's very interesting. I'll just make one statement because, you know, there's nothing more to say. I mean, we both agree, Sexton. But there was an article that I read today that uh, Levert is hoping for a contract extension, and he promises a different me next season. I think it's always fascinating to me when players immediately acknowledge that they were the problem, and they're going to be better next year. And I'm always skeptical that they can be. It's like, well, if you could be someone else, you would have been someone else. I understand it's difficult to switch teams and everything, but you had 19 games to figure it out, and they gave you 80 minutes at the end of the season to show us what you had. And I saw a guy that turned our offense into watching a guy dribble the ball. So I'd say Sexton. Should they keep the seven-footer lineup next season? I don't see any reason why not to. The The future of the NBA is tall people. Uh, it's always been that, but they're just getting taller. The average height is 6'7". I bet by the time I'm 50, it'll be 7 feet tall. Especially now that these guys can shoot it from anywhere. It doesn't matter how big they are. When you and I were young, a 7-footer you know, could shoot like your grandma, and they'd still let him be in the NBA. And nowadays, a 7-footer shoots like a point guard. It's insane. And they move just as quick laterally. They're great defensively. There's no reason not to have seven-footers if you can get them. And frankly, who are you going to get rid of? Allen's locked in. Markkinen's locked in. Mobley's locked in. They're, they're there. They're just there. For the next three, four seasons, this is what we have. And especially if you're going to play more undersized guards. You know, We know that Garland grew. We're not sure how much. Uh, it doesn't sound like Sexton did. It's always a benefit to have what I call the tall trees on your team. So... Yes, we should keep the seven-foot lineups. So I would say that they should keep a hybrid version of this, where maybe they don't, maybe at the start of the season, they have all 
three-star, Lowry, Mobley, and Allen. But if they do draft a small forward or if they bring in a guy who's more of a stereotypical small forward, you might have Lowry come off the bench occasionally because my guess would be that Kevin Love will get hurt or not be able to play 75 games like he did this year. I think it was 74. So they should still give this lineup a chance because they didn't really get to play that much together this year. And it clearly worked against a lot of teams. So utilize that size. But at the same time, maybe Lowry drops to the bench a little more often. That's that's what my guess would be. Now that you have experienced the play-in tournament, are you a fan? Yes, I actually thought the play-in was a smart idea to begin with because I was tired of every team after the All-Star break tanking. But I do think it's a fun scenario. It's a little confusing. But again, I think that was because the Cavs had never participated. So it was trying to figure out how to, to drive or whatever. So... I liked the overall atmosphere of it. I felt like it was playoff-esque. There was a lot at stake in both games. And I think overall, it's a smart thing for the, for the NBA to, to have this type of you know, mini tournament before the, the actual playoffs start. What did you think? Yeah, it, it adds an opportunity for the teams at the bottom to vie for those final spots and for there to be more of an entertainment aspect for the for the fan base. It's more TV revenue. It's nothing but a win for the NBA. And it makes a lot of sense. I wonder if we'll see an even more slow evolution from the bottom up and, and how they'll change the playoff structure over time. I think now that they know they have a formula where they can say, okay, the number of games you win in the regular season doesn't necessarily guarantee seed your position within the playoffs. That almost means that they could go to a place where maybe only the top two or three teams would be guaranteed anything, and then the rest of the teams would have to play for those final positions, vie for those final positions, and have like a quick little tournament before the, the playoffs would begin. It's, it's a real massage kind of thing they have to do, of my understanding, because it also it's all about TV rights and when baseball games are played and when other sporting events are played. So that's all has to kind of happen over time in a small way. But this shows that there's room for improvement of how they do business, and I think that it is a success. Part of me doesn't like it because I had no issue with the way that it was. But I also had no issue with playing five games to start the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> I still remember those years. So, you know, change is hard. And sometimes you have to just kind of go with it. And I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it. It was fine. Do you expect this team to make the playoffs next season? Yeah, I think I, think I expected them to make the playoffs this season. I think if you went back and listened to what I said last season, I thought we should have squeaked in last year. Um, if only we'd stay healthy. I really have a lot of belief in this team. I don't know if we can win it all. You, you could never say that because a lot of luck has to go your way. And certainly this team needs a few more seasons of figuring each other out and finding that kind of sweet spot of how to play together. We've given a lot of praise to JB this year, and rightly so. 
But there was a couple of glaring things. We've talked about them now. I still believe in the coaching staff. I still believe in the players in this organization. There's no reason to not think that we're going to get in one through eight somewhere next year, especially when, broken record here, we were right there from being the number one seed just a month and a half ago. So, as you said, whatever grade you want to put on this season, it's certainly better than last year, and it puts a lot of pressure on next season being successful. So we better make the playoffs. I think that's the perfect phrasing. We better make the playoffs. I think everybody who follows this team, and even the casual fan in Cleveland when they're not paying attention to the Browns, expects the Cavs to be in the postseason. This is a team that is now talented enough, thanks to Mobley. They're going to get even more young talent in a first-round draft pick again this year. So they should have every chance to really fill out their roster because they're also able to maneuver their money a little bit because this is Love's last season with this contract. It's only, you know, 20-something million dollars as opposed to 40 or 60. So they're in a spot where expectations are high. I think this team, the young core on this team, is extremely special. We'll always talk about how talented they look and everything that they do on the floor and just the connections they make while they're playing together. But truly, the thing that I, why I expect this is they love playing basketball together. We saw, even with some LeBron-era teams, they did not love playing basketball together. And that's why I really expect and hope, more expect, that the Cavs will make the postseason next year. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!